Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Well, there you go. You know what to do if you've got questions. What is it? Ask your mother. But how wonderful at the end when they are recognising that these questions uh, are great questions and they need asking. So happy Easter, everybody. Aren't you glad that the sun is shining? How wonderful that the English get a wonderful few days of sun. It's awesome, isn't it, mate? Long continue. I'd love a year like last year, but who knows? Um, but today we are following our quest uh, with regard to curiosity, and I think that that sets us up beautifully with what we're wanting to talk about tonight, because whether you like it or not, from the beginning of time, there are legends that try to explain the, the, the reason why we're here, the, the reason um, of our existence. Um, and the great question, of course, is why there's evil in the world, why there's sickness and horrible things in the world. And these legends are to a penny. And uh, whatever culture you are in, um, it will basically determine your identity because that's what you'll have been rooted in those stories and uh, many many times you know once those uh, roots are questioned it leaves us not having a clue who we are because it's like well this is the foundation of of who I am when we question it so Christianity is no different uh, that is the religion basically of our culture and the debate has gone on for centuries, with many theories as to what Jesus' death and resurrection mean, we asked the question, what was God's purpose? You know, what's it all about? And so tonight we are asking the hard questions. Uh, what is the real meaning behind Jesus' death? Why did he have to die? And what does his death mean to us personally? And we may not have all the answers tonight, uh, but we are definitely going to tell you what it's not, Right? We might not be able to tell you truly what it is, but we can tell you what it's, what it's not. And uh, what I do know, and this came through today with a, uh, something that happened on Facebook, what I do know that rummaging in legends, whatever culture, you are not going to find the living among the dead. And that's the, the truth about Easter in the context that if we're not careful, even as a Christian group, we're still looking for answers amongst a, a legend or a story that was thousands of years old. Instead of saying 2,000 years on, what is the meaning of it today, now, for me? So we will find the living among the living, not among the dead. And I hope you understand what I'm saying there. It's important that we don't seek uh, the living among the dead. Now, Another thing that I saw today, which was very interesting, I'm going off track a little bit, but you'll get what I'm going to say in a minute. Um, someone said, instead of saying that the, the, the uh, Easter um, greeting used to be, he is risen, 
And the answer used to be, he is risen indeed. How about now changing it? I am risen. And the answer is, I am risen indeed. If we're wanting to say that the resurrection story applies to us today, then it's more about how have I risen and how you have risen because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Do you get me? Now, isn't that a better story? I believe it is anyway. So on this first Easter Sunday, when Mary and the other women came to the tomb of the crucified Jesus, a voice was heard and they thought it was the gardener. And he asked that important question, why are you seeking the living among the dead. And I believe that that question is still being asked today. So you've just seen a clip from The Shack. Great film. If you've not seen it, make the time to, to watch it. That's little girl's called Missy. And she was asking the question at the end. What does the great spirit want? Why was the great spirit so mean? Now, that's a fantastic question and a question that most Christians aren't willing to face because the story that we have been given actually shows a very mean God if we don't really take time to look at the story. I find it that it's intriguing that a little child sees the problem with the story, whereas the adult didn't. And why? Because we tend to swallow what we're told without seeing the implications of it because our identity depends on it. So somehow we try to justify the story and we hold on and we say, no, 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 we just don't understand. God's ways are higher than our ways and we find a way of justifying what that little girl said. That's mean and we're going to talk about that tonight. So here at Q... We have chosen to question as little children because in our hearts we know that the great spirit, God, whatever name you want to give, the life source of all things is not mean and it has led us to a, a, a more beautiful understanding of God and Jesus. So first curiosity had to kill the cat and what we are saying the cat is tonight is the common atonement theory and you'll hear about this tonight uh, later and I'm sure I'm going to do a fantastic job of that but we're going to take you on a little bit of a journey in the next clip we invite you to enter the world of the yeti as I said at the beginning there's been stories from time immemorial about this sort of stuff and so we're going to enter the world of the yeti another society high above the clouds, at the top of the snowy Himalayan mountains, who have their own creation story and a religion of sorts that keeps them safe in, in what's known as the stones. The stones are unquestionable. These are truths set in stone. But are they true? One of them says that in order for the sun to come up every morning, the gong must be rung. Another says there is no such thing as a small foot. Now, for those of you who are, who are uninitiated, a small foot is a human being. Just as human beings don't believe that yetis exist, yetis don't believe that human beings exist. So the stones say each of these, uh, these things. But these stones are about to be questioned by a curious Meg at a serious cost. Mego, sorry, it was Mego, isn't it? Migo, Migo. Sorry, Migo knows he has seen a small foot, but that means that the stones are wrong. And if the stones are wrong, 
Who are they? What is the foundation of their existence? And to challenge the stones means that the ultimate cost is to be banished. Will you uphold the truth or will you just blend in? There is a saying that truth will make you free, but at first it might make you miserable. Are we willing to experience the misery of challenging our stones in order that our souls can see further than we can see? Thank you. There we go. Magic. Um, we're not questioning the authenticity of that which within the Bible is truly scripture when we talk about the stones, but what we are questioning is the influences that have taken that which was truth, influenced it by the culture and rewritten it and then we have made it normal. For example, what we are challenging tonight about what we have called the common atonement theory, which, are, which really is about what does it mean Jesus' death on the cross? Because to atone for something means to do something to put things right. So the theory of putting things right between man and God, there is a common atonement theory. However, the problem is that, that most of the, the cat that we want to kill, the common atonement theory that we have been taught, particularly in the West and, and even more particularly in evangelicalism, arose at the time of knights and barons and feudal systems where peasants were owned by cruel overlords and then scripture or the understanding of Jesus and our condition before God was interpreted through that because most of us, unless you were born to a wealthy family, were worse than nothing and you were worth nothing and therefore to be redeemed from that nothingness was a delight and that was superimposed into what we know as the gospel story, sadly. And so for the last thousand years, coming out of the Dark Ages and into the Middle Ages in the 1500s with Martin Luther and John Calvin, we have had an interpretation of what the cross means that was not the interpretation of what the cross meant to the early followers of Jesus and those who were around straight after his resurrection. That may make you uncomfortable because when we've held something and said, this is it, it makes us uncomfortable to ask the question as to whether that truly is it. And I believe curiosity demands that our currently held beliefs about God cannot and should not exist unchallenged. Now, you're not going to hear that in a lot of churches, but I think it's the one thing you should be hearing in churches about the genuineness of our desire to find the real God of Jesus, the one who Jesus came to bring to us. Now, I realize that for some this may be unsettling. Um, it, was to the yet it was to the yetis in the clip from Smallfoot where he dared to question the stones. But the objective is not to get rid of God, in case some of you are worried, or to demote God but to discover the full reality of his being in a deeply transformative way. That's the objective. So we, we had this little statement up here. Curiosity drives you to not only wrestle with hard questions, but to work through the discomfort caused when, when uh, the answer to those questions does not uphold your previously held beliefs. Okay, and that, that's what we're challenging. So the question is, why should I be bothered? Why should I be bothered about the common atonement theory? Why should I be bothered about what we're talking about tonight? Well, something is recorded as happening during the crucifixion. 
that has profound implications on the interpretation of that event. Here's what it says in Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain was torn. Which curtain? The curtain in the temple, the church, the holy place. Why? To show the people that what they had been told existed behind the curtain that they were not allowed to get nearer to was not there, it was somewhere else. It was in the reality of the living God in the living Christ for living humanity and that religion's system did not have the answer but religion's system will always try to keep you from the true answer and not want you to ask the question, what's behind the curtain? How many have watched Wizard of Oz? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain moving the levers. That's the religious system that has someone hidden behind a curtain that we're supposed to trust as the great wizard who's moving the levers of our lives, but it's all a scam and it's all a sham and we need to come back to reality. So, so the curtain was torn in the temple. Now, now I love what, you know, scriptures are written in a very particular way that, that the nuance is incredible. So the curtain was torn, not from bottom to top, which would be an act of humanity. Now the curtain was taller than a man. You couldn't reach the top, but the curtain was torn from top to bottom, which says that it was God, it was the divine, it was the great spirit, it was the one who is the Abba of Jesus who tore that curtain so that you could get a look into the thing and realise there are no secrets, but in your curiosity you can wander into that holy place and see what you discover in there. So why should I be bothered? Because there's something to see here that is deeply transformative for every area of your life. Some Some have said that for the past 2,000 years, men have been trying to stitch the curtain up again. So my point to you, if I had a megaphone, I'd do the American police thing. Put down the needle and thread, step away from the curtain, and look. Okay, now that uh, last video is pretty hard hitting. Would you agree? Uh, and what I would say is that it is not possible for, for Chris and I in three little talky sessions to fully expand and talk through the implications of some of the issues that we're talking about tonight. We have some stuff online that gives further teaching about what we think about this and are always willing to talk to any of you and we'll cover some more about the Christ in uh, not this coming Wednesday but the Wednesday after. This, this video is basically suggesting that even a basic curiosity should actually kill the cat. Um, because whatever you may think of the video, it's raising some very legitimate and important questions about how we have viewed the atonement and therefore the cat, our common atonement theory. So, so let me give you a quick summary. The video's basic suggestion is that God holds humanity accountable for a problem for which he created the circumstance in the first place. That he already had a plan in place to deal with what he knew would happen. That his plan was to impregnate a woman with himself so he could live and die. In doing so, he then sacrificed himself to himself to appease the anger in himself over a problem that he had created himself. In doing all this, God is now able to save us from himself. 
Now, this, this may be a crude and, and to some offensive way of describing the basics of the, the cat, or the common atonement theory, but doesn't it make you curious as to whether that is the best and most truthful expression of the why of the cross? Oh. What could that theory be interpreted, interpreted, that's it, I was going to do interpreted. <laughs> what could that theory be interpreted to be saying about God? In the previous video clip to this from, from Smallfoot, which is a great movie, you just, any of you that have been around in church for any length of time, you just have to watch Smallfoot. It might be a kid's movie, but it will do you absolutely good because it's addressing some of these issues. So in that previous video uh, from Smallfoot, we saw the scene where the dad missed the gong. Did you catch that? But the, nice, the sky snail came up anyway. Even though he missed the gong, because he thought, I have to ring the gong for the sky snail to reveal himself and shine his light upon us. The question would be, does the sun of love rise anyway? Is there some gong that has to be hit by some target practice of some people who rigidly every day have to perform some ritual in order to make a noise so that the sun of love can rise over us? Or, or do we discover when we're prepared to ask these questions that the sun of love rises anyway? And that we don't be afraid that we can expose ourselves to the wonder of that love. See, I was raised with two words about God, wrath and forgiveness. Isn't wrath a pretty violent word? Wrath, the wrath of God and the forgiveness of God. But I want to propose to you that wrath or forgiveness cannot be the two alternatives of anything called love. They just can't. Wrath and forgiveness cannot be your two alternatives that flow from anything called love. Do you get that? Therefore, we've got to be curious. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 in the Bible, it's one of my favorite verses because um, it helps me to unpackage this. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul said, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. How many of you are familiar with that verse? But you see, here's the problem. Then people go to the New Testament letters and the Gospels to say, yes, it's according to the Scriptures. But you see, when Paul wrote this, those Scriptures did not exist. So you cannot explain or interpret or unpackage an understanding of what we call the atonement by reading your favourite New Testament verses. You have to look at the imagery and the pictures of that which was written before experientially to help us to understand what this is truly about. So because of time, I'm going to give you one brief inter interjection into that world. 2,000 years before the crucifixion, the scriptures record a man leading his son up a hill. Just like, just like the day of the crucifixion. And he's leading his son up the hill so that he can sacrifice his son. He feels and believes, and it's probably correct, that God had said to him, take your son, take your only son, and sacrifice him at the place that I will show you. And so this man called Abraham willingly takes his son up the hill, ready to sacrifice his son on top of that hill. 
Have you ever wondered why Abraham didn't ask the question, you got to be kidding me. This child is the child of a miracle. This child has been given to me and now you're saying, kill the child. Why didn't Abraham argue? I'll tell you why. Because when you look at the scriptures about which Paul was talking and you put them into their historic and cultural context, you will realize that Abraham's culture was influenced by Mesopotamia, Arcadia, and Samaria. In those cultures, when the gods were angry, the gods required a sacrifice. And to appease the anger of the gods, you must obediently make a sacrifice. So if you were asked to sacrifice, you understood the gods are angry with me. And only a sacrifice will satisfy their wrath. The highest form of sacrifice you could be asked for by the gods in their culture, as they perceived it, was a child's sacrifice sacrifice, a ritual child sacrifice. Therefore, to be asked to sacrifice your firstborn child was the highest request that you could receive from a God. But what it meant was that the God was angry with you. He was wrathful towards you. And the only way to appease the anger of the God was to obediently, ritually sacrifice your only son. Can you see where some of our pictures potentially have become distorted. And so Abraham is obedient because he believes God is angry, his anger must be appeased and it will only be appeased by sacrifice. We have gleaned in our gospel, God is angry, his anger must be appeased and it can only be appeased by sacrifice. So we have superimposed the same ritual child sacrifice on our understanding of the cross. That's the most common atonement theory that curiosity needs to kill. So Abraham goes up the hill with his son and when he's about to kill his son to appease the wrath of God, God speaks to him through an angel and says, Abraham, don't kill your son. And it says, Abraham looked around and in a thicket there was a ram caught by its horns. And it says, Abraham took the ram and he sacrificed the ram instead of sacrificing his son. Now, here's what common atonement theory says. That ram was a picture of Jesus. No, it wasn't. Even by scriptural knowledge, Jesus was never the ram. Jesus was what? The lamb. It's a different story. We could talk about that, but like I said, we don't have time. But you say, well, what did the ram mean? In the British Museum... There is a golden statue, stands about 10 inches high, of 200 centimetres, 20 centimetres, 200 millimetres if we're converting it, of a gold statue of a ram with its horns caught in a thicket. And it predates Abraham by 500 years, which would suggest to me that the imagery of a ram caught in a thicket was something common in Abraham's culture because it meant something. Now you also need to understand that the ram was the most common depiction of the pagan gods in Mesopotamian, Arcadian and Sumerian culture. So when Abraham saw the ram caught by its horns in the thicket and went to sacrifice the ram, he was taking the pagan image that he understood of God and sacrificing that in place of his son to say, I am going to kill today 
all my false ideas of who I ever thought God was. So the boy goes free, the concepts of God that are defective get killed because the message was not, Abraham, kill your son so you know what I'm like. The message was, Abraham, don't kill your son because I want you to know what I'm not like. I am not a cruel God who is angry like the pagan gods, whose anger can only be appeased by a ritual child sacrifice. That is not the way, but if you will sacrifice today your images and concepts of the pagan ideas of who you think I am, then you will enter into a new revelation that will make you the man of faith who will find a place that will be your inheritance. I believe that's the true gospel. In summary, that's what it's all about. And we are invited on a journey. We're invited on that same journey. Not to go to Multnomah Falls and think, will God have to kill me? Not even to go to the cross and say, because God was angry, did he have to kill Jesus? But to come to our own altar on our own hill. To say, I'm prepared to sacrifice every pagan concept that I've ever had of who I believe God is, so that in the fullness of the revelation of resurrection, the risen Christ, the living, not looking for the living among the dead, that I will meet that living Christ, and in meeting him, that's where the place of transformation will happen for me in my life. Let that be the sacrifice this Easter. Now you could say, well, why the blood? Why? I can explain that to you, but not now. And I think what most of us need is not the explanation of that, but most of us need to be willing to let curiosity kill the cat so that the veil can be torn, the curtain can be torn from top to bottom so that we can be invited into the space that says, actually, God is not here in anything ritualistic. There is no Ark of the Covenant. There is none of the things that we associated with his presence. Therefore, where is he? And so when you look up behind your curtain of religion, you'll find he's not here. He's risen. When you look behind the curtain of your false concepts of the God who is loving, you'll say he's not here, but he is risen. And it says, and then he has gone ahead of you, follow him. I want you to do that tonight. Be willing for the one who's gone ahead of you. Don't be afraid, but follow him into what is the truth of resurrection when curiosity kills the cat. Father, I pray in this place tonight that our hearts will be able to sit, receive, that our eyes will be able to see, and that in doing that you will bring us to a place of transformation where the living God, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the living God himself, the very essence and being of who you are, fills and saturates every one of us, bringing us into that resurrection life that is the shared being with yourself in the earth today. As Chris said at the beginning, may we say today, not just he is risen, but that I am risen. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. 
We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.